Listen, I have an idea. An idea. An idea. Whatever today has given you Five eleven headaches still call it Thanksgiving True Welcome to another edition of the Super Duper Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Briggs, here with the super producer, Ez McMahon. Yes. <laughs> What's going on, Rob? How you doing, man? I'm good, my man. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. Glad to be here. Gotta say, it was a good day. Inside joke, guys. Thank you for checking the, <laughs> the Super Duper Podcast. Wear a hat. <laughs> All the jokes come. <laughs> We do not take your listeners lightly. Please follow us on Instagram at SuperDuperPod, S-U-P-A-D-P-A-P-O-D, and online at hp53productions.com for our merch. You can also find additional content such as the Father Good Podcast with Kenny Stevenson and Marshall Givens and our own S. McMahon with the Easy Smoke and GM Podcast. So you guys recorded yesterday, right? We did. Well, the episode dropped yesterday, right? We dropped, yeah, we recorded and dropped. And uh, obviously the number one story, the Chicago Bears are on the clock. They got the number one pick in the 2023 NFL draft. And so uh, that's what's going to be the story from now until April 27th. What are the Bears going to do? So uh, fun yeah, I, times I, here as a Bears fan. I saw people saying they should trade to trade Justin Fields. I'm that's just like, what? ridiculous. Like what? They They need to go away. And it's I mean, a bunch. It's a bunch of people saying it's like, yeah, really? which is crazy. And it's like just to get another, just to wait three years to, and for Bryce Young of all people, he gonna get his, his hip broken, man. You know what I'm saying? Dude, I, mean, I mean, people. I mean, he's a very good quarterback. I get it, uh, but no, Justin Fields is special, man. That's I'm, that's special. what I'm saying. And if I mean, we, listen, they, they, they say he this, can't throw. Go ahead. I was gonna say we if we do this right, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. people say he can't throw. That's off. That's what I'm saying. I was like, what? that's all Listen. he did at Ohio. He didn't even he didn't run at Ohio State. Yeah, he threw the football. He had weapons around him though. He has no weapons here with the Bears right now. Yeah. So if we use this pick correctly, and you know, if we trade now, get a bunch of picks, get, get the picks that we need to get, mm-hmm. get some players in free agency, get him the weapons he needs. Then we'll okay. we'll see what 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 we got there. So yeah, because the Bears were in every game. I mean, I shouldn't say every game because some games they got they got waxed. They but did. a lot of games, but a lot of games, it's like it was just like some dumb mistakes at the end, or he was just trying to do too much, or felt like he had to do too much to make yeah. it work. So and I'm glad that happened because look at that, we fall into the number one pick. And, and thank crazy. you, Lovey Smith, by the way. Shout out, yeah, shout out to Houston. Shout out to Houston. Yes, That's yes. Just, they should let him go before the game. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for messing up, Houston. <laughs> But for more spot sports content, make sure you check out uh Easy Smoking GM Podcast and Father Good Podcast, wherever you get your podcast, Spotify. I love saying it that way. Uh Google Podcasts, uh Stitcher, all those fun places. And also you can find us on YouTube, right? Is yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Find us on YouTube. YouTube. So first for us at HP53 Productions, you can find this episode on YouTube and see our lovely faces and get, get some of our inside jokes when you check out the pie. So today we got a special guest, Dr. Williams, our favorite, one of our favorite guests. He's going to take us to school as he usually does to talk about Martin Luther King holiday as that will be uh, the Monday after this recording. So guys, that's a very special holiday to the SDP. But before we get to that episode, as just one quick story, man, I read it. This was in Ad Age. Uh, PepsiCo is launching a new drink called Starry. I SC. saw that. Saw that right, right? Yeah. So now it's to compete with Sprite. But now, I guess I didn't realize how many times they tried to make something to compete with Sprite. Slice? So well, hold on. Sierra Miss. Uh-huh. That's in 2000. Slice in 84. Storm in 1998. Do you remember that? I, have, I don't I remember like, Storm. No. I've never seen Storm. So Sprite has 6.9% share, uh, dollar share. And Sierra Miss has 0.1%. So when you talk about millions and millions of dollars, it's like Sprite kicking their tail. And that's among all carbonated soft drinks. So, I mean, Sprite got a nice hold on the share. I remember Sprite was like most more people were getting Sprite than Coke, like yeah, in, in our in our demographic. Sure. Probably, sure. you know, worldwide, Coke has probably always been number one. But I remember there was a time, you know, 
late ninety or mid to late nineties. It was it was all about Sprite. Well, Sprite did that. You know, they did the hip hop campaign, right? Like they right, they kind of right, leaned into right. hip hop and just like this is what you do. And now hip hop is the you know that's the voice of young people right now. But it's like now Star is supposed to target younger customers. Uh, it's kind of like what Sprite does. But it's like man, since night as of nineteen eighty four, they've tried to beat Sprite and just can't do it. It's like Sprite has a six percent. Uh, stretch over there. Sprite just chilling, like yeah. Try, good, try it again. Look, see how that slice does. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how it does, man. But it sounds like it's the same stuff. They, they put out the same thing, but it's like it's the same. Yes, it's the exact same. Just drink. a different, just, just a, a different, different name. name. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, slice, slice, and Sierra Mist were exactly the same. Yeah, and Sierra Mist was really only like y'all ain't got Sprite. Well, I guess I'll take the Sierra Mist. <laughs> well, that's always <laughs> the way it is. That's, that's how I feel like I get. See, it's even with Pepsi and Coke, man. Are you, even which, with which Pep- you? even with Pepsi, which because I actually like Pepsi more than Coke. Yeah, I'm a Coke guy. I, I like I I like if you if you told me give me a test test right now a taste test right now I would say that Pepsi is better than Coke. Yeah, uh, but you know you go everywhere. Coke is. Coke is it, man. Coke is Coke is number one. You know, it's interesting you say that because I th- I would agree with you. I think pe- Pepsi tastes better, but I just would choose a Coke. I have no idea why. Like, I, if I had a Coke or Pepsi in there, I would pick a Coke. Because you, because because it's, it's been conditioned peer pressure. You've been conditioned to <laughs> drinking Coke. You've been to Atlanta, and all all pop in Atlanta is called Coke. Yeah, yo, no matter my, what, you know, my my mom got. Uh, Aiden loving Pepsi, like as when she was, you know, grandma sneak stuff to kids. So when she was make him a little a uh, mocktail, it'll be Pepsi mixed with cranberry. Now he's at the grandma house. She got a Pepsi waiting for him, man. Actually, I can't front. It's Pepsi and cranberry. It's delicious. I was like, mom, you can't it. keep giving this, and I was like, make me one, okay? I'm a grown man. I can handle this. <laughs> Shout out to grandmas everywhere, man. But yeah, so you know, you guys will start to see Starry, aka Slice, aka Sierra. I saw the Mist. can. The, the can is a little too much for me, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. It, it seems like way out of my demographic. It's like I'm yeah. not picking this up. Yeah, yeah. I'm, so I'm get that young sprite. So, I, but again, <laughs> they say they 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 tar- they're targeting young customers, which is probably why it didn't appeal to you. I'm, or I'm me, a, my friend. Wait, but I'm a grown up though, though, so I don't, I don't even drink Sprite no more, man. I drink Seven Up, man. Yeah, see, so again, Chase drinks Sprite, Aiden drinks Pepsi, or Coke, depending on where where we are, right? And I mean, I'm with you. I don't even, I mess with a Sprite if it's like barbecue or like ain't nothing yeah, else to drink. There. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'll, I'll even drink a a Sierra Mist at the barbecue. You know, if it's there, it's cool. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going to the store myself, you know, I'm picking what up. You picking up? I'm picking up Seven Up. You know, yeah. oh what man, yeah, yeah the old taste buds. I'm saying, I'm, I'm old man. You know, I'm picking set, up a Seven Up. Well, maybe up. wait, 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 or maybe a ginger ale. You know? Now, now I'm with now. Look, I will, I will buy ginger ale. Yeah, yeah. But you know, sometimes it's that's because you know you're trying to mix that with something else. But uh, <laughs> I will, I will usually pick up a Crush product, be it grape. Uh, y'all know how I feel about Peach Crush. Uh, nah, or strawberry. We had we had that conversation before. Hey 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 man, listen, I know my roots. So make sure you guys check out Starry, aka Slice, aka Storm, aka Sierra Miss with the K. All the same people with the K-pop branded. Jeez, K-pop branded. <laughs> <laughs> it's Sprite like yeah. Try that. That that's gonna look cute. That, that, that's gonna look cute too. So, so guys, like I said, we got Dr. Williams here for another edition of Around the World with World. Here's my big brother and our, and our personal professor, our own Dr. Williams. We take you all Today on the Super Duper Pie, I got my big brother, always Dr. Dwayne Williams. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great, baby boy. How you doing? I'm good, man. Again, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, to family. It's great to hear you and see you in real life. Almost. Same here. And we talked about this off here, but we got a good idea coming up soon. Y'all going to hear about it soon. going to be crazy. Yes. yes. <laughs> but listen, but man, I wanted to get you on. As always, yes, you know, I love you, man. Love having you on the show. And I always learn something when you're here. But of course, next week will be Martin Luther King's holiday as it observed. And, you know, and 
the years I've had this podcast, I've always tried to honor Dr. King some kind of way mm-hmm. and just kind of take a few minutes out and mainly kind of landed on just how people, you know, they, they whitewash some of his quotes and mm-hmm. they make him this this, this 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 pacifist type of guy. And which he was, he's a man of peace, but I think people misunderstand what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And but 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 they forget how he was in 1968 the most hated man in America, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just about you know, the holiday, we've just been celebrating it for years and years and years, but there was a lot of struggle to the holiday. So I want to just give our listeners some perspective about Dr. King, the life he lived, how he's remembered, what he, what, and what he, obviously things he did back then, kind of how people maybe misremember mis- some things. Mm-hmm. But also the struggle about the holiday itself. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't an easy deal. Like, you, you, you would think they would have agreed to this holiday fairly quickly, and it took almost 30 years. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't want to step on your toes. So just a little oh, bit, no, man, you know, you, I'll, I'll let you rip and run like, like you do, and I'll, I'll pop in when I can. I, I mean, listen, look, I want to start with this. First of all, I think that, you know, there's there for some people, there's a, a power and a value and a comfort in the myth that Dr. King represents. But let's be very clear. Dr. King was a radical. He was a transformation, a social, political, cultural radical. He isn't the guy who's the young guy who's, uh, you know, being co-opted and, and pulled into the Montgomery Improvement Association's, you know, bus boycott. What you have to realize is that his public life went from 1954 to 1968. That's a fairly short public life. Mm, okay? That's right. If you, if you think about it, that's a fairly short public life. But he's still rooted in that that great Southern tradition, right? He's in Atlanta. He's a son of a minister. You know, uh, he comes from a particular tradition. But he is aspiring to be a kind of traditional upper middle elite life, right? He's trying to distinguish himself from his father, right? He's in Atlanta. He goes to Morehouse. You know, you got all that stuff going. But the thing that you have to always remember about Dr. King is that his roots were always very radical, right? You got Dr. Benjamin Hayes, Mays rather, who's the president of Morehouse when he's there. You know, King comes up in the 30s and the 40s. By the time he goes off to Boston and goes to, you know, theology school, by the time he arrives in Montgomery, he's 26. Let me explain something to you. There still aren't that many black PhDs who are 26 years old. In 2023, okay, and who have a theological, he was a deeply, deeply thoughtful and reflective person, who then got radicalized by a moment that that really he reacted to, but he was prepared for, right? So his preparation meets opportunity. That's what the luck is, right? He was prepared for that moment. And again, you have to understand to understand King to understand his transformation. We love to see King as a static figure. Right. But King was always evolving in those 14 years. He evolved for someone who was, I would say, a progressive and forward thinker to someone who was transformationalist thinking and had a platform. Can you imagine if Dr. King had social media today? Can you even listen? (laughs) The voice, the cadence, the rhetoric. Okay, all that set the stage for someone who we have to reckon with. Now, I live in Washington, D.C. I got two things that I always tell people. Every week, with very few exceptions, I walk from the Ulysses S. Grant statue, because he's an Illinoisan, to the MLK statue. And I always go to the August 26th, August 28th, 1963 spot at the Lincoln Memorial. And I do that to remind people of that's a public space. King lived his life in a public way with public meaning. And he challenges us to think about who we are. What is the meaning of citizenship? What is the meaning of freedom? And that walk from Grant to Lincoln is a reminder that if there's one metaphor for me when it comes to understanding Dr. King and everything that came before and after him is what is the meaning of freedom? We need to constantly ask that question. It doesn't get static. He didn't get static. And the other issue is what's the price you want to pay for the country you want to have, right? We love to make King a martyr. It's not that he's a martyr. It's, it's an, I understand the price that I want to pay. The, the alternative is to live a life that's less than the one you, than you're capable of living, to paraphrase uh, Mandela. Like, no one should live a life less than the one they're capable of living. Dr. King got that. He truly got that. And he was constantly challenging. I always tell people, were you reading the books? that, that If you read Strive Toward Freedom, if you read the letter from the Birmingham jail, if you read it, that people get it excerpted. But I always tell people, you're not really reading King. He was he was transparent. He's telling you what he's talking about. He's drawing on all those radical spiritual traditions. We like it because Americans, we like, you know, those of us who are from a spiritual background, we like that he's connecting it to those things that are, 
new what I call New Testament ideas about liberation and, and those things. But at the end of the day, remember, it's not liberate. It's not an empty liberation. It's transformational. King is asking, is challenging racism, militarism, economic issues, and guess what? That's capitalism. That's not gonna make you famous. You're not gonna you're not gonna win friends and influence people, right? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that King said was, we have to accept finite disappointment. We must never lose infinite hope. This idea that you can be hopeful, okay, and you can be humble. But you got to avoid the hubris of racism, of sexism, of militarism. And the thing that is really hard for people to understand is you don't know how radical it is to live your life being guided by the idea of nonviolence. Nonviolence isn't that, it rec that, that I'm, not, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to avoid violence. I recognize that violence is there. And I'm trying to resolve a problem. And I'll end with this. King always says this, and I, and I, I paraphrase it. It's not that I'm against violence. I am. I'm a, I'm a pastorist myself. What King said and what I say is this. If violence worked, I would use it. I'd be punching people in the face all the time. But it actually hasn't solved. It hasn't actually solved poverty. It hasn't dealt with racism or sexism or homophobia or transphobia. It hasn't done those things. So the reason I don't the reason I don't use violence as a strategy is it doesn't work. And we saw that we saw the alternative does work. But remember this. King was a southerner. Guess what? When he's, in, when he's in Montgomery, people always like to see that famous picture of Malcolm X with the gun standing by the window. Guess what? Dr. King had a shotgun. Okay? He had a shotgun in Montgomery. And when they bombed his house, here's the thing. When they bombed his house and his baby was there, Yolanda, may she rest in peace, and, and Karate, may she rest in peace, it wasn't, hey, let's have a kumbaya moment. He's a southerner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay? And there's, the old, there's that old saying, hey, that nonviolent stuff will get you killed. Guess what? You're not going to bomb my wife and my kid. I'm gonna be like, it's okay. That's not what that wasn't King's response because he's a southerner. He has a shotgun. Okay, he's 26 years old, and somebody's gonna bomb his house and kill his daughter. His response wasn't, "Hey, let's have a prayer." His first response was, "I need to go get my shotgun and be prepared to defend my family." That part doesn't get told. Final, final point. I lied. Final, final point. <laughs> King is radi radicalized. And we can't talk about King and his development without talking about, um, you know, the people who he met along the way. You know, Bernard Rustin. Uh, those are the people who introduced him to the idea of nonviolence and, uh, and the, the kind of mass social protest, the philosophical. How do you translate those philosophical and intellectual ideas into a movement, right? King was well prepared. He's well versed. But it was Bernard Russian, you know, he's a gay black man who's arrested for all these kinds of issues in the 40s. But guess what? He told King, you're our guy. I'm going to give you some of my secrets. I'm going to give you some of the skills. But you're the guy who's going who's gonna to actually be the one who catapults these ideas that we've been talking about since the 30s and the 40s before Emmett Till, before that. We've been talking about these issues for a long time. Okay? And... You compare him with someone like Bernard Rustin, and I always tell people the um, the radical and difficult and um, rambunctious life of Rosa Parks. Man, Rosa Parks was doing stuff before she got on the bus 20 years before, all right? And so King is engaging with those guys. He's engaging with E.D. Nixon, who is, you know, the head of Brotherhood, Steve Park Porters. He's the guy who is head of the local NAACP. These people are way radical than, than King. And one thing they don't want is they don't want to be involved with the locals who get co-opted. And King's an outsider, comes to Montgomery, and from there, he begins to grow and engage. But he was actually intellectually prepared. And so what makes him radical isn't that he suddenly got radical in 1968, is that the roots were there. And he was asking the questions. He was asking the questions that scholar asked. How do I create the world that I want? How do I transform the world that I want? What are the strategies that I need to use? He's adjusting those strategies. And the reason that I always say the reason that King was killed uh, was because he was getting it right. He was making, he was getting it right. And he posed a legitimate, what I call an existential threat to those isms. He, you know, he, he did. And we still, we're still standing on his back. So yeah, of course people quote him. We don't, we don't judge people by the content of their color and the color of their skin because that's the easy part. But if you read deep, you can always see what King is talking about. He's talking about transforming America. And he's insisting that America live up to his creed. It's not the I have a dream reframe that I like. It's the point that, hey, America's written a check 
It's a check that's come back. It's a bounce check that's come back. Insufficient funds. That's in the MLK day. Uh, that's in that's in the I Have a Dream speech too. I've never seen it quoted on TV. Never seen that. I've never. I've never. I've seen the refrain. I've seen. I got my little girls and all that kind of. Because people love that part. But the speech is radical. I make my students read it all the time. I make them read it aloud. We talk about it and we deconstruct it. And I wish people would do that thing. Okay. When yeah. you go to the King Memorial here in DC and you see the things, it's laid out there. If you just read what he's talking about, King's talking about these issues in 54 and 56. He's talking about the student at Morehouse. He's talking about the theological student. It's not an accident. And he's smart enough to make connection with people. And then you see people galvanized by those things. And then of course, finally, now seriously, finally, you can't ignore the fact that King is able to become King because of the media because the way in which he's covered because you see we see those visual images that is a very powerful thing right history is an image making process i say all the time when we come to see we often come to believe about people okay whether it's true that's why instagram is powerful it's why facebook is powerful it's why people read posts and they count how many likes it's a powerful medium king got that and he was ready for that his rhetoric was ready his rhetoric was ready and then his ideas were very compelling but guess what up to a point. Then it got hot. Then all people who were his friends in 54, when he wins the Nobel Prize. If you ever see um, the movie that just came out with him, uh, it starts with him winning the Nobel Prize in 64. Okay? It, it's, it starts there. But that's the point where he's at his apex, right? From 64 to 68, it's a yeah, strong really. cold struggle, wow. right? Check out King's speech that was given. You're going to love this. March 25th, my birthday, mm -hmm. 1967 the year before guess where he gave it in chicago right. that speech is he's previewed all the stuff it's all there so you got to read king to understand him. if you just if you just freeze him with the coke commercials and the excerpts it cheats it cheats our children it treats it cheats our adults look it cheats the, the his contemporaries they forget how radical it is they go oh he said that yeah man he said that thing okay so 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 right there for a second so now we talk about 68 of course he's assassinated in April, and then, right when the fast forward to now, we have his holiday. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I, as long as I can remember, it's always been a holiday. And of course, mm -hmm. you, you hear about Dr. King, you hear what he did, right? When you well, when you're younger, you get you get you get the softball uh, quotes in the life that he had. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh man, they, they really did this thing back to this really nice guy. Of course, he's a holiday, right? right. But you know, and, and I don't think people even now know that Stevie Wonder's "Happy Birthday" song ain't just like the new "Happy Birthday" right, song. Right, right, it was, right. It was actually like "Happy Birthday" song. Right, right, right. It's like that's. It doesn't make much sense. There ought to yeah. be a law against anyone who takes offense. Yeah. Okay. So people, people, people just people, celebration. If you read the lyrics, read the lyrics. Yeah, people just people just think okay. it's a, he was doing that singing at Arby's or whatever. Right, 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 right. But so now, but but take us through just a bit about you know how we got from you know, 1968 to the actual holiday and how it actually yeah. came about. So we yeah. talked a bit about a, bit, a yeah. couple yeah. of nuggets last week. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing you need to realize. First of all, it's really important to talk about the relationship between Dr. King and public memory and public history, okay? And so what I mean by that is this. After Dr. King was murdered in Memphis, from that moment onward, his birthday was celebrated as a national, as a holiday within the black community. Right. It wasn't that it sprung up. Right. By the mm -hmm. time we get to get to uh, Stevie, one of them singing a song, it's because for years and years, certainly in my family. Hey, look, we don't work on January 15th. It's Dr. King's birthday. We don't work. I never I didn't go to school. I didn't work. I we we, we had a we had a ritual of honoring Dr. King that grew out of his murder, his assassination to honor his legacy. That's how important he was. It wasn't just naming streets. But here's the thing. Naming things. Public rituals or memories are ways that we sustain legacy. And it became very clear to black people that we needed to have a national holiday. People, the first argument was, why do we have Doc, uh, Dr. King? He did this. He did that. Let's find flaws in him. You know, the, the counter argument was, look, you can find as many flaws you want in Dr. King. His body work can always stand up against anybody else. You got a current, you got a current holiday for. So that was that. Right? So there was a real concerted and intentional effort within black communities, plural to honor Dr. King's legacy and to sustain it. And we knew that public holidays are public rituals that, that elevate that. We need it to be a national celebration, right? And we need it to be one that, that elevated in the same way that it became clear 
that to deal with the legacy of slavery, we needed to make Juneteenth a national holiday. That's about that's about a public ritual, right? Mm -hmm. Even black people don't really fully understand Juneteenth. Well, many people had a sense of who Dr. King was, his legacy, what he stood for, his ideas, and they wanted to extend it and sustain it. And I can tell you this: when the public debate became, when the, when the debate began about an actual holiday, a national holiday for Dr. King, I remember Jesse Helm, then the senator for North Carolina, saying this about Dr. King. He was an action-oriented communist, okay? They were trying to say he's a, they were trying to paint him with the communist thing. He doesn't deserve this, you know, he's a Marxist, he's an action-oriented communist. All this, if you look at the, you look at the congressional debate about having a King holiday, it was all about the idea that we have to diminish his legacy. And the counter response to that was no. And guess what? Um, when they tried to veto uh, King's, Holiday, when they tried to block it, or, or I think Reagan uh, vetoed it, the Congress was prepared to override that veto in part because it was the one thing that can make both sides look really good. Okay, so here's the thing we get the holiday, we get the song, but here's the thing public memory and public rituals are always contested terrains. So here's the thing, Republicans take things that they want from Dr. King. We all about economic development. We all about black empowerment and that part they like. They don't want to critique a capitalism. They want the idea of that. So everyone can, can cherry pick a quote. But remember the holiday is about establishing the credibility that a black person in his or her legacy is worthy of us having a national acknowledgement over it. That's a victory. And that came at the cost of genuine um, criticism, critique, and doubt about the legitimacy. You know how people you know, were doubting the legitimacy of Barack Obama is he a citizen and all this kind of stuff? The same kind of things happened with Dr. King around the holiday. He's not legitimate. He cheated on his wife. We got this, these kind of things. But this is about legacy, mm -hmm. right? And so the counter response was, if we go down that route, then we're going to go down the route of George Washington. Abraham Lincoln. We're gonna, we, we're gonna, we're gonna, and we're gonna, we're gonna have to interrogate Thanksgiving and the meaning of what it is. And like, do you really want to go there? Like, yeah, this, yeah. this is what you're gonna go with, right? And so that, so at the level of ideas, the same kind of tactics were used to destabilize it. Because remember this, Robert. It is a very difficult thing to swallow the idea that a person of color, that a black man, no less, is worthy of a national acknowledgement of his legacy. Okay, and so once you win that, the only way you can co-opt it once you win the holiday is to say, okay, I'm going to take the things I like from it, and I'm going to I'm going to put a softer lens on it, and I'm not going to look at the deeper meaning of what he's saying, and I'm going to I'm going to fixate on a young 26 year old King and not the 39 year old uh, Dr. King. I'm not going to talk about. I'm going to find all of the I Have a Dream speech was happened again in 1963. And I'll tell you this, that speech happened on August 28th, 1963. And guess what? On September 15th, they killed four little black girls in Birmingham. They blew them right up in a church. That happened within weeks after that speech. Yeah. Okay. And he was deeply, deeply upset about that. But again, people who understand his legacy see it as an evolution, not as static. And so that's why the holiday can't be static. It has to be about service, right? Anybody can be great because everybody can serve. Dr. King says it has to be about confronting the things that impede the ability of people to have full citizenship, poverty, racism, sexism, militarism, the same issues. We're still having those conversations. Those are things that are worthy of it. People have taken parts of it, but nobody's taken on the full mantle, which is why King gets the holiday. It isn't that there aren't great, other great women or great men. It's that King was having those conversations in a public space and, a, and it made it uh, gave us a pathway to have Black Lives Matter. All right, you have a movement of Black Lives Matter because you have to have a, what are the strategies, the rhetoric, the ideas that will compel the public to rethink the things that they're stuck on. Well, King was doing that in the in the fifties and the sixties up until the moment that he's that he's dead. There's no reason why a person of King's stature would go to Memphis to support workers, sanitation workers. He doesn't have to do that. Famous people don't do that now. They send their, they, they post stuff on Instagram. They, they're armchair activists. You don't see people doing the things that King did, not until the whole issue with George Floyd happened. We had a real law. There were people who were radical, who were organizing, but the scale, yeah. right? We didn't get back to that scale. And that's what makes Black Lives Matter, the movement itself, valuable. They're still drawing on those same traditions. And so King, the holiday is really about 
how do we elevate public memory, elevate public legacy, and then what are the things that we want to teach about that legacy? How do we sustain it? You can't sustain legacies with silence. You sustain legacies of famous people by telling the stories. And I'll, I'll, I always use this example, and you will appreciate this. Every Sunday, me and you go to church on Easter. We do not go to church because we don't understand what happens. We understand that Jesus lived. He was in the world for th three decades. He had 12 followers and they murdered him and he was, he, he died on the cross. Okay. And he was, and he was resurrected. The reason that we tell that Easter story, if you're a Christian, is because the story bears repeating yeah. because there's something in the repeating of the story that sustains the legacy. There are very few people, save our children, who go to Easter and they're like, what happened? The guy was, this happened? And then... <laughs> Oh, this yeah. happened on Friday. It looked really yeah. bad. And then on Sunday, he just popped up and boom. Now, I'm not trying to you know, be facetious. My point yeah, is, yeah, yeah. with Dr. King, the reason that we should need to celebrate it and resist this idea of, of, of softening him is that his true legacy, his radical, his transform transformative legacy needs to be told by the likes of us to sustain it for our children, to sustain it for other children. So they have, they have ways to kind of moor themselves to be a lighthouse, but how do you make choices in a different moment in 2033, in 2068, okay? How do you, what's the guy that you use? King is that guy and his legacy is that guy. You can't get that guy with silence. Storytelling is legacy sustaining. That's how you sustain legacies. That's how you maintain public memories. It, again, if people stop talking about you, they're not thinking about you. Yeah. So I don't always like some of the stuff that people say about King, but I like the fact that he's still a part of the conversation. I like the fact that that people like me and you can challenge the homogenization, the you know watering down of King, but we can't do that if we're not talking about it. Yeah. You know, right. I, I used to feel, and you talked about some brands that would they they made a very pointed effort to support King and the legacy. And I guess that has to be a tricky dance, right? They want to be a company that shows that they are progressive and they are, uh, you know, uh, in, they, they are in support of his mission, what he's doing, so on and so forth. But like with Juneteenth, the biggest issue was like, we have Juneteenth, it's a, but then the next year it was like Ben and Jerry's Juneteenth, not you know yeah, yeah. Juneteenth ice cream, and you know my producer gonna laugh because we, we found we did a whole bunch of trademark right, 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 episode right. like Juneteenth bread soda. It was wild, just like people profiting Money off to of be the made. yeah, Money and it's like made the, of the legacy of slavery still exactly. Mm -hmm. And so then you now you have Dr. King. It doesn't feel like that way as much anymore. But you know people were profiting, and maybe you maybe you have you've seen I'll some more examples. That. Yeah, we could do the same thing. I did a speech. You know, I don't do as many speeches now in MLK Day, but I used to do one every year. Yeah. And um, man, it's been a long time. But I did a speech where you know, I talked about King. I had a, this, this kind of conversation we had about how radical he was and transformation. And then I pointed out to the folks in the audience that guess what? Every year, all of the white cells begin, sheets, all kind of stuff begin on MLK Day. That's when you buy your bed, have an MLK holiday, have our white tail. I say, listen, this is a guy who was taking on people with white sheets for real, okay? And there, there is there is no army loss in the fact that MLK Day and MLK Week and his celebration often launched, you know, all these sales that were about, you yeah. know, it's a long weekend. It wasn't about legacy. It was about this idea to commercialize it, right? We get an extra day off, extra day of shopping. The flip side of that is this, though. When Dr. King's holiday became the third Monday in January, it also extended how we celebrated African-American History Month. So mm -hmm. I love it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah. all those people with the what I call the full conspiracies about, oh, it's the, short, the shortest uh, month of the year is why February is not true. Okay. But still, you just put that, you put that to a side. We can start having a public discussion, debate, celebration about the legacy of Black people, Barley and Dr. King, birthday and the celebration allows us to extend that. So that's the good thing. But trust me, the number of Dr. King, Coca-Cola commercials uh, and stuff, um, the attempt to, you know, have watches and books and shirts and all that kind of stuff, it, it's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. It's, it's but, just... Because that's easier then digging deeper. Yeah. So you know. now I do want, I know usually when, and this is a surprise question, I, I didn't just get this to you, so you're on the fly here. But usually the question goes around, like if Dr. King was alive, he'd be 
angry with this or he'd be upset with this. But my question to you, you know, what movements would he be proud of? Like what what would he say, hey, you know, we ain't got it all because in his day it still wasn't all right, you know what I'm saying? That he was doing his best. But what what would he make what, what do you think he would look at now? That's, and a, go, that's, a, that's an easy question. I think yeah. again, King was a was a, a person who I see as someone who's deeply dedicated, not merely to the lives and full humanity of black people and people broadly, but yeah. this idea of citizenship. So mm-hmm. I think the idea that citizenship gets expanded for the LGBT, you know, Q plus community, he would be very proud of that. He would be very proud. The idea that you can truly, because remember, within the movement, we have that long legacy of we're going to try to turn our eye, not, we're not going to raise any questions about someone whose sexual identity, politics, orientation, whatever you want to call it, are not in line with our so-called vice. King would have been, he would love the fact that we have a public discourse in which people can actually exist more fully. A wider spectrum of citizenship can be articulated. He would be very, very um, happy, affirmed by that. Issues around disability, any kind of ableism, any of those things. The fact, because his argument was still at its core, right? We're all worthy of each other, as A.P. Jones, the writer, says. And to be worthy of each other, we have to all have the potential to have the fullness of our possibilities realized. And that's really what we're fighting for. It's not okay, right? If you look at, if you look at Dr. King's quotes, they're always about, it's not really that I'm okay. He said, everybody has to be okay. And you're right. Everybody wasn't okay in 1968, but more people were made okay by what he did. And from 68 to 2023, more people have been made. And guess what? All those people are literally standing on the shoulders and drawing from the world of Dr. King's ideas. And he would be like, that is fantastic. That is fantastic. If Dr. King were alive, this is 2023. So, you know, he'd be 90 years old or something like that. Um, It's really powerful to realize that King would have seen that transformation, okay? He would see that, yes, he'd have the concerns about some of the encroachments around citizenship, around voting, but he would always say, hey, been there and done that. You guys still talking about Georgia? Hey, guess what? We already did that, all right? So the bridges that would would make him most happy about crossing is that the bridge of opportunity, the bridge of human possibility got expanded by people actually taking those same kind of risks that he took, right? Bringing the public to bear on it. I mean, think about this. Things that you and I may not think about as heterosexual black men, the idea of marrying, okay? He would love that, right? So you can't have it both ways. You can't say someone's illegitimate because they're in a same-sex relationship, but then you're going to deny them with things that will legitimize them. So King would have been someone, in my view, who would have been deeply engaged in the idea of marriage equality, the idea of people being able to get access to those, and he would be um, happy at the expansion of opportunity for black people and concern that guess what the pace might drive me crazy but the alternative is that guess what look at georgia football team yesterday look at alabama right now okay those students couldn't have played for alabama nick saban would have no team right now <laughs> all right, right. No team. So, not a championship so look race yeah. place in sports he would love that he would have loved colin kaepernick he would have loved 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 the idea that someone would risk everything. You don't have to do it for the idea of affirming somebody's humanity, the treatment of black people. Right? He would love he would love those things. He would be so happy about that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, because you know we always and it's always a running joke. So like Marlon the King, like you said, it's the it's the sheets weekend. It's always like yeah. the party weekend, ski resort weekend. Uh, MLK birthday, you know, right. and, and, I, and I'm not even saying this to toot my own horn, but I don't know when when it hit me, man. But I think it was in college. I uh, we had MLK day, excuse me, mm-hmm. and you know, my boss was like, "Man, if you want to take it off, you can." Right? It was on something like, "I mean, you the only black guy in here working, so right, you right. want to take it off." And I remember thinking, "Cool." And I said, "Wait a minute, all I'm gonna do is." Sleep in, like party out the night before. Mm-hmm. Sleep in the day of. That ain't honoring Dr. King. Mm-hmm. And you know, what I'm saying to me, honoring him honestly is, I'm at this predominantly white school. Right. I can go. I I can go to a job that's paying me right, and they treat right, right, me right. as an equal student, like every other student here. You know, what I'm saying, and I'm extending the work hard work that my parents did. That's the best way for me to honor Dr. King. I've been, yeah, I've been, and I've been, and even with the chipmunks, man, to try to take them to 
something, you know, because even when like with your school, and I, and I appreciate their school. Their school does a lot of black history stuff mm-hmm. and, and a lot of uh, like stuff around MLK. So they know who he is. Uh, you know, funny, Aiden, uh, <laughs> they're talking about Martin Luther King. He says, so white people hate black people, dad? They want to kill us? I said, whoa, whoa, that's an aggressive statement, son. But I mean, you know, yeah. some people do. Some people yeah, do. Yeah, right, 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 right. But, you know, but for you, man, when you see uh, people talking about the legacy and we talked to touch a bit back on it, is there something more that we can do? I know you said about day of service, doing the legacy. Is there something more we can do to honor Dr. King on, on the next weekend? I think the most important thing to do, I think that I can't understand, it's about, again, having a conversation, okay, a consistent conversation. You, it's hard for people to grasp and digest, giving young people uh, an opportunity to learn, and those of us who are older, a chance to speak and share those, like, like finding a public space where those opportunities can happen, and not just... Juneteenth or MLK Day or Black History Month, just having an ongoing conversation. Cause we're in Alexis on about one shot. It isn't that one. It's the it's the mundane. It's the day to day things that allow people to do that. Of course, I'm in the story. It's always about expanding people's knowledge. So again, I always tell people, you know, oh, Doctor, you know, Williams, I can't read a book. Hey, everybody can read Gwendolyn Brooks' poem about MLK. It's a simple poem. It's fantastic. It's a great poem. Okay, read something about Dr. King. And then always make the connection, right? Don't wait till King Day to make the connection. Mm-hmm. Make the connection by what you're doing. Am I living my life? What are the things that are challenges in my life? Am I willing to take those challenges on? Am I willing to have personal courage? All right. Am I doing reflection mm-hmm. or reaction? Okay. Am I am I preparing for the opportunity or I'm complaining about the genuine impediments that are there? Right. That's the thing. It's like no, I'm going to insist. That I'd be able to live my life fully and completely. And like you said, I could take King Day off, sleep late, party late, or I could be like, hey, what I'm gonna do is be a model by the work that I do on that day that models what does black excellence look like? What does I have a group called Million Marvelous Minds at the school that I work? It's 40 black boys. And I always tell black boys this every single day, what you do either affirms or denies black genius and black joy. It, it, you don't, it's not that you need to do anything special. Be your fullest self, the, your comportment, the way you move in the space. The reason I wear a shirt and tie is because I'm moving in the space. I'm conveying something, right? I'm thinking of Mr. Redwood at Luella uh, School, who was my eighth grade teacher. I'm thinking of Sidney Portier. I'm thinking of the black man. I'm moving on purpose. I'm not wearing this. When I'm with my friends, I don't wear a tie like that because that's leisure. But in the public space, we can do those things. Our comportment conveys a message. We don't have to say anything. We just have to be able to say that black genius, black joy, black humanity is normal. And it's normal because we go about living our lives fully and completely. And when we face challenges, what we do is this. People talk a lot about uh, stress and about trauma, all right, that is in our bones. But guess what? The flip side is also in our bones. There's real research that can show that it is true that trauma can be passed between generations, but so can hope. And I mean that, and you know, I'm not a, I'm not a biologist, but I'm telling you the research shows the reason that we're able to sustain ourselves for that four centuries isn't just because we have genius and joy. There is something about the fact that hope is something that permeates the black experience and then permeates the human experience. All right. People survive because they have reasons to want to survive. And that survival isn't like, whew, we make it. It's that it's normal. It's, the, it's normalizing the things that make us who we are. It's the way to, to honor Dr. King. And then if we want to go to that public level with service and projects, they have to be intentional, right? And one thing about Dr. King is it's about the humanity and the humility of the act. It isn't about everyone needs to see those things, right? People ask me all the time, hey, why do you work with middle school kids? Because I've taught graduate students, I've taught undergraduates, and guess what? When people are in their identity formation, you know what happens? In adolescence. I can talk to my friends about any idea I want, but can you imagine being a 12 or 13-year-old person and you have me as your teacher? Yeah. Can you imagine the things that I'm talking about? They aren't the same conversations that other people are talking about, <laughs> right? I know that when I have a bona fide student at Williams College where you went, or McAllister, I went, if you got to that point from St. Ignatius or Whitney Young, we already know what you can do. All right. 
But what we don't know is how many more Roberts can we produce? How many more Dwayne's can we produce? And if the people who have the skill and experience don't go back to that, that's my way out. On the, uh, the way out on the Dr. King is by the teaching that I do, the learning that I do, the questions that I ask. And I'm mindful of it. It isn't like, oh, I'm being inspired. Nope. I'm simply going in and I'm teaching you that history or math or science or reading are tools for you to be your fullest self. And if I know a way to get you to be your fullest self, I have an affirmative obligation to make that available for you. Yeah. That's what you got to do. You know, you got to do that. Don't look for the big thing. Be your, be your fullest self. And when you're not, you're not honoring Dr. King because real blood was given and real lives were sacrificed so you can make those choices. That's why I never make, and I'm, I'm not the kind of person like, oh, it was like this. It's old school and the kids dressed like that. No, no. It's having a choice. Yeah. It's that when you didn't have the choice. So yes, did Dr. King have a certain kind of middle-class respectability? They need to do that then. So, you know, the range of styles that we have, the ways we express ourselves, it's expanding because of Dr. King. Because you can be a human. And there are many ways to be a, a black person. I always tell people, find one way that works for you. The only kind of black person, the only kind of human person you should be is a confused one. You should avoid that. Be the human person you want to be. And as a black man, I always say, I can speak from that well. I'm going to find a way to be a black man. And there are models of blackness and maleness that are powerfully connected to who Dr. King was. And I can live with those things. I don't need to be invested in toxic masculinity or certain kinds of... Nope, I can be, I can be invested in a kind of blackness and identity, a humanist that is liberating. And King was really about that. That's why I always keep going back to citizenship. You are full citizens. They're talking being a full man, a full citizen. They're like, I just want to be able to do what I want to do. I want to go shopping where I want to go and eat where I want to go and go to the beach or not go to the beach or drive the car I want. Those seem like small things, but they're only made small because you and I can do them in a way that couldn't have been done in 1968 or 58 and 48. There's stuff that you and I have done that we know that our, even our parents who are still living, they couldn't have done them. And they look at us like, wow. You know, that's, to me, that's the best way you can honor King. Be man. yourself. Be a full human. I appreciate that, world, man. Always teaching us something on SDP. So, as always, you leave us with a book. A book I always forget to read. So, what you got? What you got? What you got for us, man? I got a couple for you that you got to. All right? Okay. All First, right. I'm in the list. All right. Freedom Moves, Hip Hop Knowledges, Pedagogy and Futures. Okay? Mm. Freedom Moves. Hip Hop Knowledges, Pedagogies, and Futures. It is a great book by some of the, it's a it's an edited volume uh, by uh, Jeff Chang and Casey Wong and uh, Sammy Aleem. And what they've done is using the metaphor and the um, traditions of hip hop, they look at how hip hop has allowed other communities around the world to understand their histories. So we understand that it grows out of a specific um, African, African-American diasporic experience. What they say is, guess what? This is a tool for liberating other people, all right? So that's why you see people in China and Japan and other places. They're not, they're not co-opting our culture. They're saying, no, this is a tool for liberation and this is a way to get at it, right? Yeah. And that book has some off the chain uh, stuff in it. Um, hold on, well, hold on. Before you get to your second book, you'll be proud of me because I finished the book called uh -oh. The Loneliest Americans, about a guy, Jay Cashman King, talked about uh, the Asian American uh, diaspora in the United States and how even though they didn't, they couldn't feel, they didn't, um, they couldn't necessarily understand the effects of Black people in America, the hip hop helped them liberate themselves and see that they were also different and could express themselves be different. See, you finally got me to read a book. <laughs> hey, I got, and look, I got a book for you. I'm gonna be at home. Uh, in Chicago, I've been saving this book for you. I read yeah. it. Look, this book is by uh, William Monroe Trotter called Black Radicals. Okay. Okay. I've been reading it. It's a great, great book. I've been teaching it. Uh, you know, so Monroe Trotter is one of those great, one of those great Black Radicals that we forget, but he's worth memory. Co-founder Niagara Movement. Blah blah. We can go on and on. So this book is an amazing. This is really about somebody you should know. So this is your book. Thank you yeah. very much for letting me hold your book. You'll get it first. <laughs> So that, that's not on my list. All right, okay. two good ones. Myth America. Myth America. Myth America. Historians take on the biggest legends and lies about our past. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Kevin Cross, Cross and Julian Zeigler. Myth America. Historians take on the biggest legends and lies about our past. 
again, another way to get at what I consider um, some of the really, really important issues. Because here's the thing, when people muddy the waters, the reason that people don't like history is either A, they think it's boring, right, because it's static, or B, they're confused. They think they can't get their eyes around it. And really what they're doing is trying to work through the propaganda. And what they do is speak to some of the major themes in history that are just flat out lies, things that aren't true that can divert our attention. And so we can't get to what the core is. All we really have to do is, is like Bob Marley says, half the story has never been told. If you just tell a full story, people can decide what they want to do with it. I trust people that they have all the available information. I'm always worried when they only get half the story because then they don't know which is which. And that's what causes confusion. This book, Myth America, is a really good example of that. All right, final, final one. I got one more. I want you to um, take a look. I got tons of them. I got one more that I think is worth. This is a novel, okay, by uh, Nobel Prize laureate uh, Abdul Razak Ghanai. It's called Afterlife, okay? A B D U L R A Z A K G U R N A H. He's a. Uh, of Tanzanian, grew up in Zanzibar. He's a Brit, you know, lives in Britain now, he's a British citizen. He wrote this, he's, he won the Nobel Prize in the last year. But this book is really about how do we look at the experience of colonialism from the perspective of those who were colonized? And this is about Zanzibar. Um, Zanzibar was, uh, had been colonized by the Germans and a lot, there are lots of stories about that. The Europeans come in, do blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. No, this is a book about what was the experience from the perspective of those who were encountering it as locals, all right? It's a, it's, man, anything about this writer, there always are meditations on identity and communities, and they force you to be uncomfortable. I mean, he's written tons. Any novel you pick up by him is worth reading. It really mm -hmm. is. I mean, I'm looking at this one, Desertion. Look, I got it here on the table now. It's not on my list, but it's a really, really good example of a book that balances the idea of intimacy and ideas, but it's always about, it asks the question I think people should always ask, who are we? How do we love? How do we live? How do we be ourselves? He's asking that question. All right, Walter Rodney. <laughs> Every time. I snuck yeah. it in. I got it too. All, All right. right. All right. Walter Rodney personally wrote How Europe Underdeveloped um, Africa, um, a great book on the Upper Guinea Coast. Uh, this is another one of those great biographies that of someone we need to know because here's the thing you may not know this but walter rodney informed a lot of your thinking again mm -hmm. he's in, he, he's a person influenced by dr king revolutionary thinking transformational thinking asking big questions about colonialism asking big questions about transformation society slavery all those big issues the people that i'm asking people to read every one of the stories i've asked you to think about are ways of honoring dr king because they create community Okay, they invite us to think about who we are and to be our fullest self as citizens. Every one of the books does that, whether it's done in a novel form, as a biography, as a scholarly, as a scholarly piece, they all do the same thing. All these books are variations of, if you really want to get to Dr. King, guess what? You should, as a general rule, have any of the books that are written by Dr. King available for you. Stride toward freedom, uh, you know, you know, letter from Birmingham. Those are things you should just be reading every year. I read them all the time. Mm -hmm. Okay. But if you want, if you're like, well, I don't know if I can get into that or whatever, any of these books will take you on a path that's a, that, that genuflects at the altar of Dr. King's legacy, that reminds you of it, that gives you an alternative path. It isn't just black people looking for liberation. It's all humans looking for it. And a lot of them draw on the inspirations, the cultural traditions, the makings of who we are as black people. But they do it. They take it. You know, they take that idea and that experience and they turn it into something that's relevant to their experience. That's what makes it powerful. That's why King is that has that broad appeal. If it was just something that was singularly about, you know, American born descendants of slaves that you can go a long way with that. But when you talk about people who are American born descendants of slaves, talking about humanity and citizenship and all those things and freedom and the meaning of freedom, people, they can make, they can, they can get along with it. You, there's so many people you're going to hear about who talk about, I drew inspiration for Dr. King because his ideas about freedom, about liberty, about all those things. And we nod along with it. These books let you do that. Any one of them do that. And like I said, when I see you the first week of Black History Month, here's your book. That's right there it. for you. you like, <laughs> now I need you to do, remember what I told you, 
just put it on the shelf and let people know, hey, at any moment, I can pull my arsenal of ideas off. I may not get to it. If I just get to the first 100 pages, I know about William Monroe Trotter and you don't. I got one more person to draw from my deep well of understanding. You keep thinking, I got to go cover to cover where I'm felt. Nope. You got you to gotta put William Monroe Trotter in the mouth of someone else. And when I saw this book, I read it. I, my mentor gave, it, gave me another a version of, of, of um, a biography about him when I was a freshman in college. And I saw this. I said, the other person I got to get this book for is Robert. My man. My man. Robert. Appreciate it. So you got it. So that's, look, appreciate man, it. they're all about King. Appreciate it, bro. Look, I love you, bro. I love and you. I, yes, and I appreciate, you. I appreciate your time here, man. And thank you for uh, taking us to school. Yet again, and I always feel bad. Like, see, I was happy to tell you I, I finished that book. I was so excited. Like, yo, I a I world, finish this book. So I got some more books to get. To right, get so that, that way I want people to get. So again, put it on the shelf. And I will tell you, just point <laughs> to it. Hey, man, listen, I I got a lot of stuff I'm doing. I got to cook dinner for the kids. Yeah, I'm going yeah. to get, get to those first 10 pages. <laughs> I'm going to break them off. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Monroe Trotter. I'll, I'll let you know. I'm going to get yes, back to you. And that's all you got to do. Hey, look, man, I'm looking forward to seeing you. I'm really going to be home. And I made it. I got a list of things in my little notebook of people I'm going to see. And I promise you, I'm going to be home enough to be able to actually get a, a picture with you, give you a hug and a kiss, and give you your book. I promise you I'm going to do that. And then we'll no we'll see about our Midwest, uh, our Midwest book. That's it, brother. That's it, brother. We're going to do something with that. Let's do it. Let's bring Bruh, that I love you, man. Love you, man. Love be you safe. so much. Okay. All right, man. Bye for now. Peace, man. I want to thank Dr. Williams for always being a great guest, for always teaching us something, leaving us with some things to think about. I mean, it's just it's just amazing how he knows all this stuff like off the top of his head, man, and can just recall all kind of historic details and just give a great perspective and good give good context. It makes you want to read more, think more about some things. So uh, he gave us his list of books, but he also forgot to mention, he text me, sent me a text about this. One book he forgot to mention, uh, Pele's bi autobiography, I'm assuming Yogo Bonito, The Beautiful Game. So yeah, that's also one book to add to the list. And we'll put this in the show notes of all the books that Dr. Williams told us to list out. I was very proud to tell him I finished the book. So, you know, he was excited that I actually picked up a book in 2022. I kind of cheated because I didn't finish it in 22. But I finished it like right at the beginning of 23. So that's, finished, my first that's book. all that Hey, man, it, hey, that is counts from 23 books. Yeah. So, guys, thank you for checking us out on the Super Duper Podcast. And also make sure you follow us at hp53productions.com. You can also follow us on Instagram. And you can find us on YouTube, right, Is For sure. Reluctantly. Find us, find us uh, on YouTube. Uh, and again, as we close this episode, make sure that you honor Dr. King some kind of way this weekend, not just this weekend, like throughout the year. Dr. Williams talked a lot about uh, Dr. King's legacy being one of service. And with that, I want to dedicate this show to uh, the gentleman. I grew up at my uh, old church and he's like a good friend of my dad's. He's one of the deacons there. He passed away this week. He's in his 80s. And one thing I remember about him, his name was uh, Royal Nicholas, called Deacon Nick for short. And uh, one thing about Deacon Nick is that he was always at church, man. Like whenever the doors were open, he was always there. There was something needed to be fixed. He was always helping somebody, visiting the sick. You know, people were having events. He would be there for people. He was, you know, visiting. If you, you had something somewhere else, he would be there. And his life was of service. And to the point, like, if he wasn't at church, you would be like, should we be here? Because if he's not here, why the heck are we here? I mean, something must be wrong. Like, and he took a vacation once and it was like, whoa, he's not here. And I mean, he passed away. And and I, and I when I think about it, like, he really lived. He, he sang all the time at the church. I mean, this was a really, really nice man really kind man and somebody that always reminded me just just about what he did he never said it never told this to me but his life was an example of just service and being dedicated to a, a mission and being dedicated to a cause and not just doing it with words but with actions and just showing up like you know he never will win an award for being like this big impactful person but you can definitely know he was a the backbone of that particular church and i just want to honor him and his life, uh, and just and just kind of hope I can lead that live that kind of same example. Like when you believe in something, you believe in 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 something that matters to you through the ups and the downs, you still show up and be committed. So, you know, rest in peace. Dick and Nick is surely gonna be missed. So again, thank you for checking us out on the Super Duper Podcast. Make sure you follow us as we said, 
and please leave a review because we need those reviews. Give us five stars because anything else is just unnecessary. Like we're not that bad of a show. We're actually a pretty great pile. I think as would definitely agree. So that five star would Absolutely. be fantastic. Uh, so again, take care of yourselves and each other. God bless you. Hey mama, this is the super duper podcast. That's champagne, real pain, real pain, champagne from you and I. Wait, you a lie? Now that's champagne, if you was I, would you be off on this campaign? Is it suicide? If you know that bringing hope here is how careers die. Or do the case stand for kamikaze? The Jay Silent is everywhere, you can feel them falling. Sugar, lately, I've been up late with what? demons in my basement trying to get me to hate this. What? Life thinking I should be further, and then I choke up. As soon as I got silent, then the truth spoke up. This said, How you know you ain't perfect? Let that soak up and soak in. You know how you know that you're blessed. I woke.